1 Corinthians 1.21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. I'd like to preach today on the power and wisdom of the cross. Thank you for standing. God bless you. You may be seated. The cross of Jesus Christ has always baffled the unbelieving world. To the non-Christian mind, the cross is the most foolish idea that has ever been propagated in the history of the world. The misunderstood cross has been maligned, mischaracterized as a myth or a hoax by a few disciples of some man from a backwater area of Galilee and Palestine. They say Jesus was just a man. So why won't he go away? After all, it's been 2,000 years. But yet he's still too influential to ignore. Those who would like to erase his memory, search for a logical reason for why 2 billion people would say that they are followers of Jesus Christ in our contemporary world. They cannot fathom Jesus. They cannot figure him out, but neither can they get rid of him. The Bible teaches that the cross is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.24, our text. The Apostle Paul said... In 1 Corinthians 1.23, that while it is foolish as we preach Christ crucified, the Jews stumble over this. The Greeks think it is the most foolish idea in the world. But why did the Jews stumble at the cross? And why did the Greeks or all the Gentile philosophers or philosophical world, why did they consider it foolishness? And how how is the cross the power of God? And how is it the wisdom of God according to the Bible? So let's look inside the Corinthian church to see what was going on there. The Corinthian Christians were in a debate about spiritual leaders. They had their own favorite preachers and heroes. The Apostle Paul wrote to them that they should speak the same thing. There should be no divisions among them. They should be joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. He said, they've told me that there are some contentions there in Corinth. And some of you say, you're of Paul. Others like the orator Apollos. And then some of you say, I like the apostle Peter, his bold preaching. And, and others of you just go straight to Christ and say, I'm of Christ. And Paul said, is Christ divided? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And for what it's worth today, there was a name that was called over us when we were baptized. And it wasn't the name of Paul. And it wasn't the titles of the names of God. It was the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
called over us in baptism. The church will never unify over a personality. We're all drawn to different types or types or kinds of ministry. And that is why the Lord in His wisdom gave us the diversity of ministry. Paul rebuked the immature focus of those Corinthians on preachers. All of them represented Jesus Christ. And they pointed those people to the one who really mattered, to Jesus Christ. That's why he said we need to mind the same thing. We need to remember what this is all about and who this is all about. So Paul said we preach Jesus Christ. That is the focus. Paul, Apollos, the Apostle Peter all preached Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.21 For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Hopefully that doesn't mean foolish preaching. It means the foolishness of the thing preached. That which was foolishness to the Greeks. That which the Jews stumbled over. The idea of a cross. The idea of God Almighty becoming a man and living, dying, being buried in a tomb, resurrected, ascended, and sending back His Spirit seems like foolishness to preach that. Amen? But I've learned that eloquent oratory will never save a single soul. Church programs will never deliver a person from the bondage of sin. It is only the power of the cross of Jesus Christ that will transform a fallen sinner into a new creation in Jesus Christ. You know, it's impossible to make the cross pretty. The cross was ugly, gory, repulsive, but it was the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross that saved us from our sins. There is no sophisticated source of salvation. God shows by what is perceived to be foolishness to save them that believe. And there is no Christianity without a cross. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross was intended not to be pretty, but to be powerful. It was not designed to impress you. It was designed to save you. And for what it's worth, you should avoid a church that avoids the cross. And while I'm there, you need to avoid a church that may embrace the cross, but avoids Pentecost and is ashamed of speaking in other tongues because that also is foolishness to the unregenerate mind. doesn't make any sense at all. The power and the wisdom of the cross. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. But the Jews perceived the cross as powerless and stumbled over it. The Greeks, the philosophers, perceived the cross as foolishness and avoided it. It was repulsive to them. Rather, than giving them the signs and wonders that the Jews desired, he gave them the cross. The weakness of death. The Jews' problem that caused them to stumble over the cross. It caused them to see that it was powerless. So that they never perceived that God would come to earth and as a suffering Savior. As I mentioned in the past few weeks, they overlooked passages in the Bible that spoke of the suffering Savior who would come. To the unbelieving Jews, the cross was anything but powerful. Messiah meant power. 
splendor, triumph, throne, scepter, beat back the Romans. Crucifixion meant weakness, humiliation, and defeat. The Bible is very clear that the Jewish people as a nation stumbled over the cross. In this very chapter, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, said that the Jews require a sign. On at least five occasions in the Gospels, the Jews demanded of Jesus that he work a miracle, not so they could receive a healing, but so they could see the power of God on display. It's an amazing thing that they wanted Jesus to perform for them. And yet Jesus performed more miracles than anyone before him or after him. The writer John said that if all the things that Jesus did in his earthly ministry were written down, that the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Yet the Jews said, show us a sign and we will believe. It's an amazing thing. It's John chapter 6 where Jesus performs many miracles. Then he feeds 5,000 men plus women and children with just five small loaves of bread and two little, or excuse, five loaves of bread and two fishes. And, and yet then they come to him right after that and they said to him, what sign will you work? What kind of miracle will you do for us so that we can believe? Was that not enough? They said, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Don't you remember that manna, angels' food, fell down from heaven? They ate it every day. So what are you going to do for us? And Jesus said, you're not going to get a sign like that. They asked him again in Matthew chapter 12. Master, we would see a sign from you. And Jesus said, you're only going to get one sign. It's the sign of the prophet Jonah who spent three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, a great fish. That's what you're going to see referring to his death, burial, and resurrection. Now Jesus authenticated his identity by many miracles. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record at least 34 specific miracles that Jesus performed. And many of them were mass miracles of many people being healed. And it is just a passing reference to all of those who were healed in a mass healing. And then there were the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Scores of prophecies that pointed to Jesus Christ that he fulfilled in the days of his flesh. So it wasn't a matter of proof or signs. It was a matter of sincerity. Because no one can prove something to you if you've decided you don't want to believe it. If you're convinced against your will, you'll be of the same opinion still. The Jews did not want to believe. They closed their eyes to truth. They stopped up their ears to understanding. And because they did, the Bible said that blindness in part has happened to the Jewish people. The Apostle Paul closes the book of Acts. That is the early history of the church that shows the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome and the triumph of the gospel over every barrier. 
He closes this book by saying that Isaiah said the truth when he spoke of you Jewish people and said, hearing you will hear and not understand. Seeing you will see and yet you will not perceive. Because this people's hearts are waxed gross. Their eyes are dull. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed. Purposely turning away from truth. And let me pause right here to say that when God shows you something, you must embrace it. Because if you do not, if you do not believe and embrace and obey what God shows you, He will close your eyes so that you can no longer see it. If you do not have a love for truth, He will send you a deception, a delusion, so you cannot believe the truth. These Jewish people would have welcomed a military conqueror if He had come to liberate them from Roman rule. And while they wanted to be free from Rome, they did not want to be free from their sin. They did not want to release their grip on the power over people. They hardened their hearts, caused a spiritual hearing loss, caused spiritual blindness to them. And so the first coming of Jesus Christ, where he would appear as a suffering Savior, went over their head. Even though the Bible prophesied that they cannot see him as the sacrificial lamb of God who would give himself for the sins of the world. So the Bible said that they stumbled over Jesus Christ. This past Wednesday night, I spoke on the subject of offense, that I refuse to be offended. And in the Bible, very often, the word offended means to stumble over truth, to stumble over trouble, to stumble over revelation that God has given you. And while Jesus came to be their Messiah, they were offended at Him. They stumbled over Him. Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah 8, that He would be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And I have to pause here again, not part of my plan, that Jesus Christ will either be your Savior or you will stumble over Him. You'll either embrace Him or reject Him. There is no middle ground with Jesus. You've got to make up your mind that you're either all in or you're all out. No middle ground with His Lordship in your life. He's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Isaiah said many among them will stumble and fall and be broken and snared and be taken. Acts 4.11 says that Jesus was that stone. They're building a religion. And they see a stone. His name is Jesus Christ. And in their stone building, which was common in those days, they tried to fit him in. Second, third, fourth, prophet, teacher. And he wouldn't fit anywhere. So they decided Jesus doesn't fit in our life. He doesn't fit in our world. So we'll just set him aside. Set him in not the Bible said. Because he only fits one place. He is to be the head of the corner. The reference point of everything in our life. He is either Lord of everything or he's not Lord at all in your life. They were offended at him, the Bible said. Matthew 13. Offended. Matthew 15. Offended. We don't like you, Jesus. Stumbling over him. Powerless. You have no position. You're not the mayor. You're not the governor. You're not the king. You're just a prophet. You've chosen to work outside of our system, so the Bible said. 
They were offended at him. And instead of repenting, they resented his coming to the earth. They saw the cross as powerless. They could not see the power of the cross. It's an amazing thing. That throughout the ministry of Jesus, they stumbled over him. They were offended at him. They rejected him. And while he was hanging on the cross, people from the city and people passing through wagged their head, the Bible said. They reviled him. And even the chief priests mocked him with the scribes and the elders. And in his dying moments, they said, if he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, if he's who he says he is, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. No, you won't believe him if he comes down from the cross. You've had three and a half years to believe him. You've had centuries of prophecies to believe him. You think that the Lord's got to appear to you in a dream. That he's got to do some miracle for you. You have the Bible. You have the preaching of the cross. You know enough to be saved. And you know way too much to be lost. It's a matter of accepting him. And they said he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will have him. This has stuck in my mind for days now. For he said he's the son of God. To the Jews. The cross was proof that Jesus was a failure. Powerless. A real Messiah would have come down from the cross. Can you imagine how dramatic that would have been? Hanging there. Beaten, bloodied. Nailed to the cross. What an amazing feat of power. If Jesus would have just drifted off the cross. Down in front of everyone. And don't you know if he would have done that, they would have all believed. No, they would not have believed. Seeking a sign instead of seeking a savior. Stumbled at the cross of Jesus Christ because they saw it as powerless to them. Paul said the Greeks, they saw the cross as foolishness. Because in their world, the pursuit of philosophical understanding was paramount. Just read Acts 17 again when Paul goes to Athens. Where they live to either hear or tell some new thing. And they think Paul is a babbler because he's got a little bit of philosophy here and there. And they ask him questions. But there's no real sincere seeking of a savior. They just want to talk philosophy with no intention of repenting of their sins. The Greeks reasoned that there was no philosophical rationale to the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.23 But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. One commentary said that the Gentiles, to them the message of Christ crucified was a pernicious superstition. And utter foolishness. One commentator, Hengel, said that Paul's word for folly here, foolishness, is more than just an intellectual defect or a lack of transcendental wisdom. 
It is something more involved, something close to madness. So to the Greeks, the preaching of the cross is just absurdity. It is madness. Now we all grew up with the cross. For over 19 centuries, it has been the symbol of our faith. People wear it on their body. They put it on the front of their church. We understand the cross. To us, it's a thing of beauty. But to them in first century Corinth, it was despised. It was the ultimate sign of curse and rejection. And obviously, these Corinthians are struggling with the, with the rejection of the Jews. The cross is powerless. With the rejection of the Greeks or the Gentiles, the cross is just foolishness. It doesn't make any sense at all. So Paul is trying to help them understand that what the Greeks call foolishness, what the Jews call powerless, powerlessness, it is the wisdom of God. It is the power of God. And Paul said that if our gospel is hid, it is said to them that are lost and whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them so they would not see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Foolishness. Foolishness. Now, cross was not beyond comprehension. I've spoken of that in the past weeks. It was a death sentence. They were familiar with people dying and even dying on a cross. It was not even foolish to the Greeks that a man would be martyred because in their day and in our day, there are people who lay down their lives for a cause in which they believe. There were revolutionaries who died in their day. They could have understood that. Martyrdom was not unusual for then or now. But the real issue to the Greek mind that made the cross foolishness was that Jesus Christ could die on a cross and his death would pay the penalty for someone else's sins. They could not wrap their brain around that. They cannot see a connection between our sin and his sacrifice. Think about it. What if you were, had committed a crime, convicted of that crime, and you were sentenced to die? It was capital murder. You're going to receive capital punishment. And while you are receiving your sentencing, someone walks in the courtroom and says, Judge, jury, I'm here to go to the gas chamber for that person. I'm here to go to the electric chair on behalf of them. Let me die of lethal injection for them. There is no way in any court in our country that you could ever take another person's place. But that was God's plan from the beginning that Jesus Christ would come and he would die for us. It was foolishness to them, but it was wisdom in the world of God. This is the incredible wisdom of the cross. From the first sin, God established some principles. Adam and Eve fall into sin. But God sacrifices innocent animals, spills their blood. So there is the principle of substitution. You sinned, someone else will die for your sins. Adam and Eve are filled with shame and their nakedness. And God takes the skins of the animals and covers their nakedness. So now there is an atonement 
there is a covering for their sins. So from the beginning all the way back to Genesis, God was pointing ahead. Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And what the world thinks as foolishness, we see as the wisdom of God. Throughout the Old Testament, there are tens of thousands of blood sacrifices. But when we come to the cross, we see that Jesus Christ offered his body once for all times, once for all people. The sacrifice that Jesus gave was the demonstration of the wisdom of God. Let me restate that it was also the power of God. You think about this, how paradoxical it was that Jesus conquered death by death. That in his weakness... And the Bible says in this passage that the weakness of God is stronger than men. One writer said that Calvary was like judo. When you use a fighter of opponent's strength against himself, the Bible said that by death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And when Jesus hanging on the cross said, it is finished, the Bible said he cried with a loud voice. I know he was thirsty. I know he was dying. But his dying breath was not a breath of, of loss. It was, a, it was a speech of triumph. In the Greek it is megaphone with a loud voice. It is finished. What was planned from the beginning is now done. And in my death I have destroyed the power of death. The cross is the power of God. And it is the wisdom of God. Paul said to Timothy, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, the sufferings of the gospel. He said He saved us, He called us according to His holy purpose was what God had in mind before time begins. 2 Timothy chapter 1, if you want to follow there. Verse 10, But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The, the cross of Jesus Christ. To those of us who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and He is the wisdom of God. And the best news of all, it is the good news is that we can be saved by the power and the wisdom of the cross. It's my experience that people have to come to the end of themselves because we want to exercise all of our resources, our power, to try to work it out, fix it, solve it. We want to use our own wisdom to try to rationalize Scheme, maybe manipulate, work it all out, find a way. But God had a way. While human beings try to deny the power of the cross and the wisdom of the cross, they struggle with their sins. They struggle with their addictions. They lie to themselves and say, I can quit any time I want. But I'm here to tell you, 
that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jews first and also to the Greek. For therein is the power of God revealed from faith to faith. There is power. There is power. There is wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it can set you free today. You see, God, He truly showed Himself to be God because He refused to let human beings dictate the terms of salvation. It was in sheer defiance to their expectation of how He should come and how He should save them. The cross reminds us that in order to be saved, we have to shelve our own standards. We have to swallow our pride. We must die to our sins and either accept or reject God who demonstrated His love in the power and wisdom of the cross. Many of us grew up singing, so I'll cherish the old rugged cross. For the cross demonstrated both the power and the wisdom of God. I hope that you see today that the cross was not weakness. The cross was not foolishness. But the work of the cross was the power of God and the wisdom of God. Today we're going to embrace the cross of Jesus Christ by partaking of the symbols of his broken body and his shed blood. And we realize that by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, we can restore our vertical relationship with God. And we can also heal our horizontal relationships with other people. Jesus demonstrated that by the power and the wisdom of the cross. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, with his disciples gathered in an upper room, he ate a supper with them. He washed their feet. And he established this sacrament, this, some people call it the Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper. He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. He took the fruit of the vine, the juice, the grape juice, and he told them to drink all of it. This is the blood of the New Testament that is shed for the remission of sins. So this is why. Bible said as often as you drink it that's why we partake of this unleavened bread and of the fruit of the vine the grape juice to symbolize the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ the apostle Paul gives a clear word of warning and I would like to glaze over this because it would be nice to just make this as pretty as can be but this is about the cross. And the cross is never pretty. It's just powerful. Paul said, If you drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, without repentance, in a flippant manner, that you are guilty 
of the body and blood of the Lord. That sounds serious to me. But he said instead of taking this as just a ritual, he said let a man examine himself and so let him eat. In other words, don't examine yourself and say I'm out. Examine yourself. Get right with God. And say, because of what you did for me, Lord, I'm all in. Paul said that if you eat and drink unworthily, you eat and drink damnation to yourself, not discerning the Lord's body. And I believe because of the context of this passage, that Paul is speaking about the body of Jesus Christ on the cross. But he's also speaking about the body of Christ in the earth. So before you ask him for forgiveness, maybe you need to ask someone else for forgiveness. Maybe you need to forgive someone who has wronged you because the cross is all about God forgiving us. We need to discern the body of Christ. Paul said because there are people in Corinth who have not examined themselves, who have eaten and drink, who have eaten and drinking. Uh, drank this unworthily. He said some are weak, others are sick, and some have died prematurely. But if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. We would let the Lord chasten us so we would not be condemned with the world. So now we're going to receive communion together. If you're a guest and you consider yourself in a right relationship with God, I want you to please be a part of this. If if you would take your communion cup and carefully peel back that first layer that is microscopically thin. The Apostle Paul is looking back on this. We usually use Paul's words here. Paul said, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Before we take this today, I, I want to just say one thing. That the broken body of Jesus Christ was for the healing of our body, soul, and spirit. It came for those who were bruised emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. I don't know what's happened to you that has broken you. But the broken body of Jesus Christ can heal you. So let's receive this together now. The, this wafer representing the broken body of Jesus Christ.
It helps me to see him hanging there. Saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was abandoned by God there so we could be adopted by God. Would you thank the Lord for His broken body that was given for you? I said, lift up your voice. Thank Him now. I love you, Jesus. I thank you that we can have wholeness, Lord. That you can present us blameless, Lord, to the coming of the Lord. Spirit, soul, body. Thank you, Jesus. Paul said, after the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it. In remembrance of me. A covenant, a testament, is an agreement between God and man in this case. And Jesus said, By my blood, I'm establishing an agreement between you and Almighty God that by my blood you can find peace with God. He made peace, the Bible said, by the blood of his cross let's take this cup and let's drink it together and now would you thank Jesus Christ the blood streaming down from his head from the thorns that were pressed deep into his brow the healing of our mind the blood that flowed from his back was beaten, bloodied flesh ripped from him the blood that flowed from his hands and feet finally the blood that flowed from his side Would you thank him now? Would you give him glory? And Paul said, as often as you do this, you do show the Lord's death till he come. We're standing here somewhere between the crucifixion and the resurrection of the dead. We're looking back to remind us that we have a future. That because of what he did on the cross, we have hope of heaven. If you're able, why don't you stand? And why don't you give him thanks right now for the blood of his cross? It is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. I love you, Jesus. I give you glory. I give you thanks, O oh Lord, today.